Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Susanna, and welcome to the Codeco podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here's the show. Thanks. This is the Codeco podcast. Welcome to episode 10 for season one. This episode was recorded on Wednesday, the 22nd of February, 2023, for release on Thursday, the 16th of March, 2023. And this episode was sponsored by Split.io. I am your host, Drew Freeman, along with my amazing co-host. And before she says anything, I want to thank her for doing such an amazing job last episode of picking up the slack while I was down with the plague. Not the COVID plague, but the plague in general. And Susanna, you did a wonderful job. Thank you to my co-host, Susanna Skyergupta. Oh, thank you, Drew. And what you guys probably will not see at all in the video from last episode uh, was that Drew actually stayed with us during the entire recording and made sure the tech worked and just wasn't there, you know, like, so we're there for each other. And that's what we all need to strive to do in our real and virtual communities. So in this episode, we're going to focus in on a topic that we've been touching on briefly pretty much the whole season and we need to be, um, and that's job hunting. And specifically, how do you land interviews? How do you get your first mobile dev interview? And how do you get mobile dev interviews that lead to um, a job that you want to work at? So with us today, we have Tim Condon, who's an open source developer and founder of Broken Hands, and Jen Bailey, who's a full-time professor of computer science, including teaching courses in mobile apps. Jen's also mom of a 20-year-old daughter and the proud owner of two dogs and two cats, she's also a chess hobbyist. She is from Northern Colorado. Tim and Jen are the authors of the newly released Hack Your Job Search, the authoritative guide to landing a mobile dev interview. Tim, Jen, thank you so much for being on the show. And obviously, this is one of those topics that you really hope you don't need, but obviously every one of us does need. And I'm so thrilled for this book. Everyone needs it at least uh, once. How- <laughs> Everyone needs it at least once, the first, the first time, time at least. <laughs> How are you both doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. Thanks for having us on. Jen, you've been on the show many times, also as a co-host yourself. What uh, what new things have been going on with you most recently? Most recently was the, uh, the book project, of course, um, and... Uh, Last fall, or I guess, yeah, I guess it was last fall. We had the Android boot camp, which was really exciting. So I was a um, junior mentor on that, and that was really fun. <laughs> and Tim, it's been a few years since you've been on this series. So what's been new with you? It has been a few years. I won't try and catch everyone up on the last five years <laughs> or so. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting time. Uh, my world is predominantly server-side Swift. And it continues to grow and expand. Uh, and there's some really exciting stuff on the horizon as Swift 6 kind of comes into play and we kind of take advantage of everything that that, that, that offers. I've been uh, I've been dabbling a little with uh, server-side Swift and I really I really love it as as another component in a larger picture when you're working on a, a, a bigger project. It's it's great stuff. So Tim, I saw that you were talking about the launch of a new server-side Swift website. Yes. Um, I think maybe designed to help us understand um, how we can use server-side Swift. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? And we'll put that in the show notes. Of course, yeah, sure. So um, about a month ago now, uh, 
my company launched a website called Are We Server Yet, which is areweserveryet.org. And this is heavily inspired by Rust's Are We Web Yet um, site. And the idea is to provide a kind of landing page of all of the different components that the Swift on Server ecosystem offers. So a lot of the questions we get are, does it do this thing, or can I connect to this database, or can I connect to this service? And so the the aim of the site is to just kind of have a uh, kind of site where everyone can go and visit and just see, I need to do this thing, is this, this thing option, uh, available, and kind of how popular it is, and then links out to all the GitHub repos and stuff like that. So it's, it's a pretty basic site, um, and it just provides some information and kind of another piece of uh, encouragement for people to really jump on the bandwagon. That sounds super useful. So we'll definitely link to that. So the book, I, I this is going to sound like an inane question here, but I, I think it's, it's valuable here. Who is the book for? Is it for all levels? Is it for new people? Who Who is the book really targeted at? So from my point of view, uh, the book is predominantly aimed at people who are getting into tech. So these are people who have either just completed a kind of university course in some tech-related field or have done a boot camp and are kind of transitioning transitioning into tech from other fields, for example. So the book is mainly focused for them to give them the best possible opportunity for landing their first interview um, with the kind of array of jobs that are out there. Um, I would say that a lot of the content in the book applies to everyone, whether you're looking for your first job or your 10th job. Um, but most of the advice and the focus is on finding your first job. How did you break up the contributions to the book? It's split about 50-50. And that's a really cool aspect of this book is our uh, Tim and my experience set is very complimentary. So he's had experience on the hiring side and I've had experience on the um, uh, skill building and educational side. So we each wrote about 50% of the book from two different valuable perspectives. Yeah, I think it, re- it really complements um, the other half very well. Um, and it's good to have different perspectives because I have no knowledge about skill building or how to present skills or kind of taking people from uh, kind of just like taking their first steps or my experiences in either of my past experience of doing that myself or looking at people who I'm looking to hire. Well, and as, so I was actually the final pass editor on this book. So I was the team lead on this book. And I think, I think it is a really neat uh, team approach because Jen has been asked by countless students, help me, you know, how do I do this? So this is, so having this in a book really is going to be a time saver for Jen because now she can say, here, read the book. And <laughs> Tim's actually literally day to day a hiring manager in tech. So so he can say and does in the book, well, when I look to hire somebody and that's not pretending, he's telling you authoritatively as a leader in um, server side Swift, here's what I look for in a newbie. So so a lot of diverse experience went into creating this book. So, I mean, the book is is, is an obvious need how did it come together how how did the idea first ignite and gel for the for the book to be created because it's it's such a need and it's it's interesting that it that it hadn't come out it's a book like this hasn't come out till now what what was the uh what was the the gelling process and how did this book come about i feel like that's maybe a good one for susanna as the team lead and the person kind of directing it (laughs) so um 
There's a person who isn't in our chat today, but whom we definitely need to credit with the concept of the book, and that is uh, Codeca resident author, Jeff Rames. So Jeff, similar to Jen's experience, I think, and maybe Tim, you've had this too, like we're younger people or newer people in the field. I should be very careful to, because that drives me nuts. You can be a beginner and not be chronologically young. Um, would come to Jeff, who's a senior iOS developer and say, how do I do this? How do I break into tech? How do I, what, how do I look for a job? And after telling people and writing it down and mentoring, it occurred to him, we should write a book. And so Jeff gave us the initial concept and part of the outline and then realized because he was amidst his own job search. And if you guys look on our website, you'll see some really great job search related advice and networking related, like um, interpersonal networking related advice from Jeff. But because he was in the throes of his own job search, he needed to step back and not write it. And so we looked around at Codeco and found this perfect team. So so that was the origin and, and how we came to be so lucky as to have Jen and Tim together writing. Yeah, so I was approached um, saying, "Do you fancy writing another book?" Um, and it's, <laughs> I think it's been long enough to forget about the the uh, the work of, of writing a book, I should say, because uh, it has been a really fun process, um, and it's a very rewarding thing to do. Um, so yeah, it was a really exciting opportunity, and it's a chance to give back in a way, I guess, um, and chance to do something that's very different because a lot of the tutorials I've written and video courses I've done and, and the book and stuff. It's all very technical and all very prescriptive in a way. Um, this is a very different thing. I think it's very different to most other stuff on Codeco. Um, and it's been a really interesting experience to go through and, and write that down. I've been very pleased to see Codeco branching away from, not away from tech, but more inclusive of non-tech being soft skills and other things like that. Um, a lot more books uh, on more topics. The tech, of course, is still obviously there. So let me ask each of you, if you were to pick one pearl that you think was something that the average person wouldn't expect to find in the book that, that you have contributed. Jen, let's start with you. Just something something that you've put in is like, ah, oh, this is something that people tend to get wrong. Um, I would say the emphasis on uh, putting skills out there where uh, people can see them. So but like building in public. And I think one thing where people go off the rails on that one a lot or make a false assumption is they think they have to be a so-called expert or be um, have a lot of experience in order to be a presenter or show the world their skills. And I would say that you can show the world your skills as you're learning it and sooner is better. And then gathering feedback will help you refine your portfolio. So I would say the encouragement to um, put themselves out there might be unexpected. <laughs> and then I, I also wrote a lot of how to uh, get the courage to do that and what are the um, you know soft skills and and things to get the courage um, when you don't feel ready for it. Because I don't know that anyone would ever feel ready. You just kind of have to jump out there and do it. And Tim, what do you, what do you feel is one of those those pearls? Uh, I'm going to ex expand on Jen's answer. Uh, I think there's a lot of uh, perceived pressure that you have to be perfect. 
Um, so the example projects you have, say, on, in your portfolio have to be perfect and the code you write has to be perfect and uh, brilliantly architected and commented and tested and have all these great architectures and look amazing. And that's completely untrue um, because at the end of the day, if you're starting out as a new person in tech, people hiring aren't expecting you to write perfect code. They're not expecting you to have perfect knowledge of everything. And what they are looking for is someone who's kind of trying and actually making an effort to learn um, and showcasing their skills. So it's far more important to um, show that you are doing stuff and it gives things for you to talk about as well than having nothing to show because you're worried about it not being perfect. Wonderful. And I want to answer this one too, which is one of the nuggets that I think is in there. I mean, it's kind of, I think it's, it's like a whole subsection of one of the chapters is, uh, if you can't get a job or you're not finding the right internship, how do you go out and make your own job through your people you might know or could go talk to in your community? How do you make your own thing happen? And uh, yeah, that's really unusual. So that's worth reading. Yeah, I want to uh, add to what Tim said about not being perfect. Uh, having been on both sides of the interviewing table, um, I always advise people if you don't know the answer immediately, talk through what you do know. Mm. Let me get a feel for what you're thinking. Because there may be something that's a little tricky that you're missing or something obvious that the synapses just aren't connecting on. But if you talk me through what you're thinking, you may jar something loose. You may um, find a way to explain things. And it'll also help me understand your communicative abilities, uh, which are going to be valuable on the team anyway. I love to hear that, Drew. <laughs> yeah. That's a really good point. Uh, I've, I, I've, I've always, I've always been a, 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 a supporter of just talk. Let me know what you're doing. I think that translates really well to kind of the real world of when you actually start your job. There's a, there's a perception in tech that, People just sit there with their headphones on and their hoodie up uh, with in in the dark uh, coding away, and that's all they have to do. And the reality of, of working in tech is that you spend far more of your time talking to people and discussing problems and explaining things than you do actually writing code. So it's really important to be able to showcase those skills and show that you can kind of build those connections and explain stuff well to your potential colleagues. So with every book... Much like this podcast, we uh, we allocate 45 minutes for the podcast, and then we take everything that got dropped on the floor and put it on the YouTube video. Let's talk about what didn't make the book that you would like to have had in there just either for time or completeness. Uh, Tim, let's start with you. Is there anything that you really wish you could have added to the book that's not there this will give our listeners a little like extra chapter maybe that's a very difficult question i think the the, the challenge with the book certainly was keeping it on the topic uh, there was a a real uh danger and kind of almost urge to expand it out into covering not just how to get your first interview but how to do the interview as well and how to apply it to senior developers as well as junior developers and how to apply it to all kinds of fields in tech and not just kind of what we we're generally targeting, which was mobile developers. Um, so I think we, we could have had a book that's four or five times the size 
um, which probably wouldn't have been as concise and, and helpful. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I would like to have seen, uh, I would like to have kind of branched out into more fields of than just software development because there's kind of testing and QA and um, data science and stuff like that um, that we we touch on in the book, but we kind of don't go into, into much uh, depth. So that could have been a fun thing to do. Um, but then it would have taken longer and may never have got out. <laughs> Jen, do you have anything that you wish you could have snuck in? Um, there's so much that I could uh, elaborate with mindset and those sorts of things. So I was able to touch on a, a, a few places of how important mindset is and some you know, quotes and techniques of how to get a mindset. But I'd love to write an appendix about um, anxiety, impo imposter syndrome, confidence, and just getting that mindset for success, which basically um, my current formula is really based around purpose. So like identify why, identify your why's. And the book goes into that quite a bit of what is the right um, job for you that's going to fit your values, that's going to meet your um, needs and things like that. So I'd love to elaborate more on just um, setting a positive mindset, being confident, um, you know, you discover your purpose and then to build confidence, you can list uh, what you've already accomplished, uh, good feedback that you've gotten. And um, these are techniques I've started to incorporate that help me to move forward when, you know, I take on a new challenge. A couple areas that I really want to expand upon, but I mean, this is why it this is why we managed to actually publish books at Codeco is we have a team and we have a management structure that stops us from expanding and expanding. <laughs> um, I would like to have said a lot more about how to how and where to contribute to open source. And I would have liked to have said a lot more about uh, creating apps for your portfolio. And here's how you do it. Um, here's how you might do it. And here are things to consider and types of apps and like but those two together, if not independently, could be mini books in and of themselves. There's a lot to say on those topics. So we all had a lot to say. And thank goodness for a management structure um, for Sandra Grauschoff, who, who kept us, you know, <laughs> who helped us remember we had a book to publish. So. So this is just book one of how to hack your jobs. Yeah, I think this will be a series of, you know, this could turn into a series of books and then also inspire many articles to elaborate on different aspects. Yes, that was Sandra's refrain, actually. Each time we'd start to veer off and she'd catch us and pull us back and say, that can be an article. Now, go write what I told you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the Kadeco team. Everybody is just so amazing at 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 finding that that wonderful voice that has been Kodeco and and RW before that, but but just still stays in this wonderful lane of knowledge. So we we talked about that concept of finding the right job. How how do you meter that? It's, it's not easy, I'd say. Um, I think there's there's definitely a lot of steps you can take that we go through in the book. Um, but it's, it's about finding uh, the kind of company that you want to work for because not all companies are the same. Um, <clears throat> big companies, little companies, they're, they're all very different. So if you're working for a startup, it's a very different environment to working for a huge uh, tech company. And if you work for a huge tech company, it's a very different environment working for a huge multinational corporation that has a small tech department. So you need to kind of look at the jobs that they offer and the kind of 
environment that they um, work in, and it's you can go through blogs and talk to people in your network and uh, listen to talks and kind of to gather that. And then once you've kind of found the kind of companies or the kind of industries that you want to work in, then you can start looking for those jobs and finding stuff that suits you. Some people have want to be remote. Some people want to be in an office. Um, so you need to find, obviously, the ones that suit you for that. Should you be searching on job sites or should you be searching at your specific company that you have targeted? I'd say search everywhere. Um, if you know that you want to work for X company, then yeah, go to their site, look at their careers page. Um, but there's no guarantee that you'll get that for your first role. Um, so you should be looking at all the places that you you can whether it's job sites or going through LinkedIn or talking to people in your network um, to kind of find out about potential roles, um, especially in this kind of climate where uh, things are getting a little tighter for many bigger companies or certainly publicly traded companies, um, companies that are um, on the stock market, stock market, I guess, are kind of tightening their belts a little bit. Um but there are plenty of jobs out there, so you just need to go and find them. Um, so if you kind of narrow your search down to one small specific thing, you might not find a job that's really great. Jen, did you want to add something there? I would say uh, balancing uh, needs and uh, your dreams. So like you have to, of course, be realistic about what your current financial situation is and how much time you realistically have. But also don't sell yourself short and set your goals too low. So um, finding a balance and setting um, high enough goals, but realistic expectations. It's a real balancing act in there. We'll have more of the Cadeco podcast after these words from Split.io. This podcast is brought to you by the Split Feature Management and Experimentation Platform. What if a release was exactly how it sounds? A liberation from constraint, a moment of relief, an escape from outdated processes, tedious software changes, and the slow, painful deployments that hold back product engineers. Free your teams and your features with Split. By attaching insightful data to feature flags, Split helps you quickly deploy, measure, and learn the impact of every feature you release, which means you can turn up what works, turn off what doesn't, and give software innovation the room to run wild. Now you can safely deliver features up to 50 times faster and exhale. Split feature management and experimentation. What a release. To reimagine software delivery and propel your teams forward, start your free trial at split.io slash Codeco. And we'd like to thank Split.io for sponsoring this episode of the Codeco podcast. I think something that was, I thought was a really good point that comes through very clearly in this, in the beginning chapters of this book that help you figure out, well, what am I really going for job-wise, is um, I think it's easy to come out of school in particular, like a CS degree thing, I've got to work for Google. It's going to be, for me, it's going to be Google or it's going to be Facebook meta, or it's going to be Apple or otherwise I'm a loser and it's just all gone to heck. And, you know, my family's going to be disappointed and, and, you know, no, there are tons and tons and tons of places to be a mobile developer, not just in tech and not just for the big companies. And uh, you might actually really prefer to start elsewhere. I can say that I work for a multinational corporation that has not a small tech division, I'd say a relatively large tech division, and 
I'm completely happy with it. I I don't feel the need to go work for Apple or Google or, sorry, Apple or Alphabet or Meta. I, you have to remember oh, sorry, what, the, yes. <laughs> what are their names. What are their names this decade? Yeah, I used to work for a very large uh, multinational company, and I hated it. Um, I've also worked for very large national companies, and I hated it. I found out I like small companies where I can be more impactful and move around with a bit more autonomy rather than butting up against corporate policies, which is something I'm not very good at coping with. Uh, at my age, you just sort of go, oh, there's a policy, whatever. Just do the policy. Fine. Okay, I'm fine. Rumble, grumble, whatever. <laughs> I really enjoyed uh, working for a small company and... Um I think a lot for me, it has to do with meaning and even simple jobs. So even when I worked like in restaurant work or something, you can find meaning, you know, you can find meaning in really serving, you know, top notch food to the customers or, you know, so even though I was building financial software to build it very robust. And um, so to me, it's more about the meaning. I need a job where I can find a meaning and that's where education was a really good fit. Jen, do you have any general comments for people who want to pursue a career in education? Sure. Yes. So uh, there's a lot. Of, education is similar to tech in a way because there's a lot of different types, especially nowadays. People can even create their own following um, and become kind of uh, teach a boot camp or become like a mentor. Uh, if you want to uh, work as an actual professor for uh, colleges, um, I you usually need an accredited master's, although some will make an exception because there's so much demand. Um, so some colleges will find a way to make an exception. Um, but most of the time, you, depending on what state you're in, you need a master's degree in your field. Um, so I would say that for people who are serious about a full-time position at a college, get an accredited degree of the sciences for computers um, and get the master's. And um, also, uh, just uh, uh, there's a lot of opportunities, but uh, be it willingness to relocate. And so I will say Ames Community College in mm. Greeley is currently hiring, but, <laughs> you know, so willingness to relocate is good. But the um, most two-year colleges and many four-year colleges are hiring for CIS often. Um, it's a real uh, issue because a lot of us could be making a little bit more in the field. Even someone tenured who's been doing it a lot of years could move out into the technology field and probably give themselves a significant raise. So I would also say only pursue it if you're really passionate about teaching because it's a lot harder than people think. So um, if you think it's going to be easier than being a developer, uh, it's not. And that's not to say development isn't hard, but it's not easier. They're just different types of problem solving. So um, I've been in it a long time and I would say my su success in staying here is that I really enjoyed it from the beginning. <laughs> I kind of lucked out that I kind of dribbled my way from my graduate studies into the IT division of my, uh, of my university. So all these universities and high schools and elementary school systems have IT groups and mm -hmm. um, the larger ones have full on like interesting software development roles. Like where I live is home to America's largest public university, which is Arizona State. And there are all sorts of roles that you can use um, 
uh, computing background in, and for sure they're mobile developers on staff at Arizona State. So that's one of those zillion places to look uh, besides the sparkly big giant companies where you could get an interesting role that would pay well with good benefits. And one of the fun things about working for a university is very often you get the opportunity to take free courses outside the work that you're doing. Cool. I lucked out that my first university job was doing IT, managing Macintoshes for the labs for all of the university and managing the software and the servers they talked to. But it was just, it was sort of a dream job because I, I went from being a student working in labs to being staff and working on the labs. And so much cool stuff. I had a similar experience where I was a part-time in work-study, and then I tutored, and I worked at the computer lab, and then I was a part-time employee, and uh, working for colleges can really help some of uh, uh, resumes because you have such a large, uh, diverse set of software and equipment that you have to support. Uh, so our that's another place where our techs can easily get higher-paying jobs, <laughs> so is that we hire a lot of our students upon graduation and then after five or ten years you know two to five years there they could definitely get a raise in salary um as a college will build onto your skill set like none other i will say going from university it to commercial development was a hard jump because there was this general view that I hadn't actually worked on a software life cycle and I hadn't had deadlines mm. to meet. And I was like, look, my, my deadlines don't move. I got, I got 30,000 students coming in on this date. And if the labs aren't working, I'll hear about it. I think part of that is just being able to sell it as well. Um, so I think certainly when you're coming from industries or roles where there's a misconception about the kind of, uh, type of work that you do, being able to explain that properly and um, go through that is, uh, is, a, is a skill in itself when you're writing your resume. One of the things that we had talked about at the, you know, so right at the end of when you make a book with Codeco, you talk about, um, well, what could we do better for next time? And it's possible that we're not the returning team to update the book. What should we keep, you know, what, what notes do we want to leave for whoever does update this? And we all realized what happened during the writing of this book. One of the things was uh, the launch of chat GPT and, you know, the rise in discussion and use of AI tools generally. So we didn't get a chance to write about how folks could use AI tools in their job search, but let's talk about it. What do you, now that we have had a chance hopefully to play a little with some of these tools what would you tell job seekers about how to how to utilize them I think one thing that would be particularly helpful with ChatGPT is um, just how it can write copies. So if you're low on ideas, you could ask it to give you examples of cover letters, or and you could use a lot of adjectives and descriptions, but it's like a thesaurus, only better. And um, so if you were having trouble coming up with uh, little blurbs of text for your LinkedIn profile or your cover letter, I think asking it could generate a lot of ideas. Tim? Yeah, I think um, automating uh, some of the tasks that you have to do when you're applying for roles, especially things like cover letters where you need to make them personal and specific to companies. Um, if you're applying for 20 jobs, you've got to write 20 
specific letters about that specific role for that specific company and why you want to work for that company and why you want that role and what seems interesting. Um, so using a tool like ChatGPT to automate that and churn out most of the text for you, which you can then review and tweak as needed, um, could save you like a good amount of time. Let's uh, let, let's follow up on that one. Um, let's talk about the importance of the cover letter because I, I'm from a different generation. I'm now advanced in my career. I don't think I've written a cover letter in about a decade or so. So. Talk to me about the importance of the cover letter when you're entering into the industry. So I, th I think it, it does depend on the role you're applying for in the company. So some not every role will need it and not every company will need it. But for the most part, it's kind of your um, initial selling point of yourself. So it's the first thing that a hiring manager or... Uh, an HR representative or the company will see of, of you. And it's the initial impressions that really count. So you need to make sure that the covering letter um, explains kind of about yourself and, and why you want that job. Um, and it can be the difference between your CV being actually looked at and your CV being ignored. Um, if you have a terrible covering letter that has the company name wrong, that's a, a really bad one or the spelling mistakes or, um, there's no kind of uh, nothing, no, no enthusiasm comes through, or kind of anything about why you would be good for that role. Um, then it's quite possible, especially if they have many people applying for that role, that you'll just be cut there and then. Um, so it's a really important opportunity for you to kind of set your stake in the ground of why you would be good for that job and why you want that job. Jen, your opinions? I agree with everything Tim said, and I tell candidates that that's your opportunity to say things that might not be as clear on your resume, because um, it's your chance to express your passion, your enthusiasm, to kind of show your personality a little bit, and to say the things you bring to the team aside from only your coding, or to say something about a project or hobby or a thing that you may have built yourself that your res that doesn't really reflect much on your resume. So it can be really powerful for people who are newer to the field and don't have a ton of experience to list on their resume. Because you can say, I you know regularly go to code competitions, I'm passionate about programming, and you, know, you can really express um, what your experience is in short uh, sentences there. I think it's also uh, important to add that these days it's not generally a covering letter. Um, it might be a, an email that you send, or it could be, uh, the body of text you send in a DM on Twitter or um, kind of Slack, if you're on like an open source Slack or something like that, it's not necessarily a letter these days, but the the importance of it still applies. If you send a message to uh, someone who's recruiting uh, that doesn't come across well, then they're probably going to ignore it. And whereas if you send a message that kind of really shows your enthusiasm, um, shows why you'd be good and what, what kind of why you're interested, then they're going to take a look at it. Wonderful. And I think it's a great place to, it's your first place really to demonstrate that you also have soft skills because that's one thing that's not as talked about as much as it could be in tech is that being a developer requires a lot of times team and soft skills. So that's your first chance to really demonstrate it, really address the employer um, courteously and you know show that you can be polite and articulate and cooperative and those traits will come through in your writing. This book is, is like I said, a departure for Cadeco in many ways. And <clears throat> one of the, the, the notes I have, because 
as I've said many times, I, ca I can't do this show without Susan. One of the notes off to the side says, discuss the fact that there are worksheets with this book. And this is a this is a first. I mean, we'll often include code or code snippets or problems. Talk to me about the worksheets and, and how they are designed for this book. I am excited about worksheets simply because it's so easy to get caught in the trap of always seeking information. This is something that happens to me and I've heard it happens to others too where we like seek information endlessly and I keep feeling satisfied because I keep finding new trips or tips and techniques. Um, but it's not until you actually apply them that you start to see the results. So I love how the worksheets will challenge the reader to pick a few small goals and actually get started um, because I can really get stuck in the gathering information phase. And this will challenge you to step out, you know, go network with th three people or pick three people to try this particular networking um, technique or choose a platform or create a plan. And I would uh, defer to Susanna too, because she created them. But um, that's what I love about it is it'll <laughs> give people simple, measurable goals to go get started right now. <laughs> before they forget what they learn. <laughs> See, Suze is stealth in this episode. Normally, Suze is, is a co-host, but she's actually one of the panel today, and and this is why Suze has been stealth through the episode. <laughs> so, Suze, since you designed and came up with the worksheets... And wrote them. Give me some of the history behind that. Well, I think what's exciting here, uh, the very fact that this is our first Codeco volume that includes worksheets. So typically, um, if you're a regular consumer of Codeco goodies, you'll know that you can read, whether or not you have a subscription, you can read the first couple chapters of any book for free to give you enough of a taste to see like, okay, is this does this merit getting the book or starting a subscription to access this and other volumes? Um, and then there's always a repo that uh, a GitHub repository that contains the sample app source code. OK, and you can get that whether or not you've got the book, although, you know, what the heck do you do with that if you don't have the book? But in this case, the repo for the book contains PDF worksheets that go along with every chapter and lead you through the journey of, OK, what job do I really want? Who am I going to contact? Who am I going to reach out to? What am I going to do next? And like Jen said, it keeps you honest. I that's so resonant what Jen just said about like, oh, what can I Google now? What can I learn about now? Like I'm I'm that person too. I bet a lot of people in our industry are that person where, oh, the rabbit hole. I'm falling down it, but it's so fun. I love falling down this rabbit hole. Um, so this is a chance to stop, reflect, and make concrete steps towards your job search journey. And, you know, you don't have to do them all at once. You take what serves you and do a little, but do a little and actually write down and think and keep going and, you know, make it, make it a tool that serves you, whether you print it or I, I'm addicted to, I shared with you guys, I have an iPad. I use good notes on it all the time. And so that's how I would do it, but really use it. And then Guys, as you're listening and, you know, so they're free. The worksheet repository is available to you whether or not you've purchased the book. Um, as you're using it, please tell us whether it's useful and how it could be more useful to you. Because uh, the, the books always have forums and you can always give feedback on any of the books, any of the uh, the, the articles, the videos. 
I really encourage people to to use that feedback to uh, to help the authors know what worked, what didn't work, what should be expanded upon in in future versions, etc. I have a feeling readers could really contribute a lot, especially in things that they know about, like events and conferences and clubs and different. So I would love to hear the different resources that readers um, know about as well. Yeah, that'd be great. Please send those in the forum. And another thing I'd really like to know about. So we're an international team on this book, but what that means is we're a U.S. and U.K. based team. So there are a whole lot of nations beyond the U.S. and the U.K., if you're in another nation and starting your first mobile dev job search, is there stuff we missed out? Are there things that would help you that you'd like to know that you're like, oh, you didn't even talk about thing we always do here. Please tell us so we can continue to improve this uh, for job seekers. Especially, uh, for example, India, I, uh, worked for a major contracting agency based out of India and the job search process was slightly different, so it was very interesting. And feedback from people in different countries is always an essential thing. I wish we had time to play the entire interview, but if you'd like to see the interview with all the material, watch YouTube for the full video version when we post it in just a few weeks. This is all amazing information that I think that anybody... Even somebody who is old and salty and looking for a job can probably pick one or two things out of the book for them to succeed as well. And I really have to thank Tim and Jen and even Suze, I mean, as Final Pass editor on the book, you've been uh, a great contributor to this episode of the, the podcast. And I want to thank you all for uh, for being here today. Thanks for having us on. Really thank great. you. Great to see you guys again here. You can always find us on Twitter, as long as Twitter continues to exist. Uh, I am Podcast Drew, D-R-U. Suze is Suze Gupta, S-U-Z-G-U-P-T-A. Tim, I love your uh, your handle. It's 0-X-T-I-M. Um, though I wouldn't... Uh, I wouldn't necessarily know how to pronounce that. I guess Hex-Tim. I go for 0-X-Tim normally. 0-X-Tim? Um, yeah. And and of course, Jen is Jen.codes. Um, we will have another episode in two weeks. I'm not going to necessarily tease what that episode is at this point, but of course, we'll ask you to tune in anyway. However, um, I have been asked by, by our podcast producers that we are looking for a little bit of information for ourselves. So if you take a look on the page where we post the episodes on, uh, on Codeco.com slash podcast, there will be a link for a survey, and we are definitely looking for your feedback on things you like in the podcast, um, general information on, on what you think works, and, and we'd love to hear from you because uh, we know you're all out there enjoying the podcast. Well, we know most of you are enjoying the podcast, and the rest of you are wondering, why am I being told I enjoy the podcast? But that's the way things go here. Anyway... For myself, for Suze, and of course, Jen and Tim, thank you so much again. We'll be back again in two weeks, and thank you so much for tuning in. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the Codeco Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, and don't forget to leave a rating in your favorite podcast app. See you next time. <laughs>